0: Good morning, good morning. Chag Chanukah Sameach. Breakfast is sponsored by Joseph Ezra Cohen in honor of Sammy Sutton, Azaku Baruch. And also sponsored in loving memory of Eliza and Mayor Agami, Alem Shalom, Lillui Nishmatem Eliza Sarah Farha Alem Shalom, Alem Shalom, and Mayor Ben Esther, Alem HaShalom, sponsored by their son, Isaac uh, Agami. Babutai. Uh, I'd like to take a look together with you at a couple of the interesting uh, words that we find uh, in the, in the, in the tefillah of Al Nisim. It's something that we say all throughout the holiday in order to fulfill the obligation lehodot lehalel the primary nature of Hanukkah everything to do with Hanukkah is lehodot lehalel, to thank and to praise God. So the tefillot are the halel that we're going to say lehalel, the nerot to be able to bring Pirsume to a, uh, a spreading of the, of the nest of the miracles that God did for us. But everything about this holiday is one giant long thanks and praise giving to God. That's the idea of the holiday of Chanukah. So I want to maybe go into one, one element uh, of this. Now, the Gemara says um, in Megillah, Lo me'astim v'lo ge'altim l'chalotam. I did not uh, despise them, I did not push them out, to wipe them out. What does that mean? The Gemara says. uh, When is that? In the days of the Kazdim. Where you had the Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah that they risked their lives to be able to not do something which was even a little bit similar to Abu Zarah. And they jumped in the furnace of fire. Okay? So he says, Look, I didn't reject you. In the days, I didn't push you out. In the days of the Greeks, I stood up for them. I stood up for them, these great uh, uh, leaders, the Chashmunahim. Uh, and what does that mean? Because... And what is the chalotam is the days of Purim. So each one of them represents that God said, I did not push you out. I did not reject you. And look, chalotam to destroy you. Each one of those represents a different time period. So uh, Rav Steinman asks the most magnificent question. He says, I don't understand the words of the Gemara. On the days of Chanukah in the time of the Greeks, God stuck in the uh, this the Chashwunaim. Uh, It wasn't God that stuck them there. It was them that decided that they were going to stand up with misirut nefesh. They were going to decide to risk their lives. It should say, in those days, they stood up. Not, I stood up for you. It's almost as if God put them there against their will, you know, and made them do this miracle. That's that's how the story went. So, there's a fascinating Gemara that uh, Rav Steinman uh, quotes. He brings the Gemara in Yoma. The Gemara in Yoma, on page 38 says as follows. Rabbi Yehaba Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yehaba Amar said the name of Yochanan, Ra'a hakadosh baruchu. Listen to this, guys. Ra'a hakadosh baruchu. She sadikim muatim. He saw that there were few sadikim. <laughs> there were few sadikim throughout the length of history. Amad vishatlan Dor vador. God took these few sadikim and he planted a few in each generation. elu <clears throat> He asks, so when God plants these sadikim, do they have They have no b'chira? Of course they do. Of course they have free will to choose. The only thing is, if there was a bunch of sadikim and they all would have come in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, where would the sadikim for our generation be? So God takes these sadikim, he sprinkles them liberally across the timeline, to ensure that every generation has its own tzadikim now i thought to myself this answers for me so many different understandings uh, that i have in in jewish theology and religion like as an example the pasuk tells us that a person should go shoftim, to the judges Bayamim ha-hem. in your days lecha you only have the rabbi of your generation a person can't say to themselves, the rabbis of the older generations, they were the prophets, they were the Tanaim, but this rabbi that I have here who's telling me that I don't have to listen to him. Everybody has to say, says the pasuk, el shofet Now I understand it much better. It's not the Shofet's fault that God put him here. He could have been partying up with the Nevi'im in the time of the Beit HaMikdash. Why is he here? He's here because of you. You better go listen to this Shofet because he's only here because you needed him. He was, and sometimes I feel as well, you look at a Sadiq, a rabbi, you say, this person, he's not cut from the same cloth as anyone around him. It's like, we hear people say this, it's like he was born, he's from another time. Literally, he was from another time. Amar cuts them out and puts them into the place where they need to be. And I learned a tremendous lesson from this. I learned from here this idea that sometimes a person, their life, it, the the life that they were given was really not ever supposed to be about them the life of a Sadiq sometimes is really not meant so because if it was up to him he'll let him live in the time he was supposed to be but really that's not how it works the Chida writes something magnificent in his uh, in his uh, uh, in his in his book and his work where he describes all the history and the generations of the Jewish people Shemeghahulim he says that there was once a boat that had four great giant Sadiqim on it And the uh, population of the Jewish people was concentrated in really one area, and there were Jewish communities that were spread out around the four corners of the earth, but they didn't have any leadership. So these four great sadiqim rabbis are on this boat. None of them wanted to go to any of these places, but they took a boat journey together to go somewhere. Of course, as the boat is on the high seas, pirates come to the boat, they take over the boat, they steal all the money, and they sell each one of the people that they caught on board as slaves. They get to the market. You have this guy, a giant guy. They sell him as a worker. Another guy, is I don't know, he's an accountant. They sell him as an accountant. Third guy is a lawyer. They sell him as a lawyer. There's four guys that are clearly rabbis. Some Jewish guy is walking through the marketplace. He sees a rabbi with a long beard and a kippah and chains. He runs up to them, four of them. He says, who's this guy? Uh, he asks the pirate, who are these people? They said to them, I don't know, we're there people that we caught. It's time to uh, it was time to, you know, to sell them as slaves, so we're selling them here. But the minute he saw how interested the guy was, he knew already what does he need to do? Hike oh, up the price. Hada, he doesn't know. He wasn't you know used to buying slaves in the shuk, Hada. All right? So he walks out and he, he starts conversing with these four people. He realizes instantly that they're all tremendous He runs back quickly to the community before they get sold as regular slaves in the marketplace. He says, we need to, uh, you know, people, they're this guy, especially, we don't have a rabbi here, okay? They put together a fortune of money. They come and the guy says, what do you mean, you, all this money only gets you one of them. Already now he knows the value. Choose one. They don't know what to do, they choose one of them. The pirates take the rest of these guys, now they know their value, they're not going to just sell them as gardeners. They take them and they go to the next port. And, of course, they send a message to the Jewish community. Jewish community needs a rabbi. They come, they find out these great Tamidei Chachamim are there. They spend the fortune of money. And then they wind up ransoming the second Tamidei Chacham. And through this, bore Olam spread Torah to the four corners of the globe. Each one of these rabbis took, the, took up the post of the people. Now that they were ransomed by the community, they felt indebted to them. And they built Torah in that area. So whether it is in time or space... God will bring the Sadiqim to the place that they need to be brought. lahem. <laughs> what a fascinating idea. So a lot of times a person has to recognize that the rabbi that's in their area, or the rabbi that's in their life, or the family rabbi, etc., etc., you don't know where this person was schlepped to come only there for you. Because the life of a rabbi really does not belong to him. It belongs to to the tzibur. It's the sibur's job to make sure that the rabbi can serve the people without needing to think about his own needs all the time, of course. That's the trade-off all the time. But the obligation of the rabbi is to really be there for the people with all of his nefesh, with all of his heart, with all of his soul. That's why he was placed into this world, into this community, and into this time. Sometimes you have a rabbi that says, you know what, I'm only interested in teaching gemara, I want to teach, you know, a very important Shi'ur, but the people of the community, maybe they didn't go to Yeshiva. Rohi, Rabbi, you were put here, not so you could give your uh, very in-depth Shi'ur, you were put here to teach them Aleph Bet, you were put here to teach them the laws of Shabbat, of Kashrut, to inspire them, to get them into Torah. If these are your people, this is your flock, then this is your job. I think sometimes we mistake, we think that leaders only come in the form of Rabbis. And we don't realize that a lot of times every one of us is rabbis. A guy came to me earlier, he said, you know, in my family, not so everyone is so religious. When I come, I'm the one, they make me say Kiddush. They make me say the Berachot. They make me cut the challah." I can see some of you are smiling, you have that in your own life. If you're the rabbi of your family, that's also your obligation. To act and react for them in an appropriate way. To be able to lead your family and to teach them uh, a better way. Not to kind of always take the responsibility yourself, but actually to say to them, I can make the berakhah, but all of you should be making the berakhah. I could light the Chanukah candles, but all of you should be able to light the Chanukah candles and lead the seder, and sit the, spend the time and teach it to them. In our prayers, we say a very beautiful expression. We say masar te giborim biyad kadashim. What a miracle! You gave over the strong in the hands of the weak. Miracle, right? You gave over the many in the hands of the few. Miracle? Miracle. You gave over the te-me'im, the impure, in the hands of the pure. Is that such a miracle? I want you to imagine you're going to the boxing ring. Now, are you going to ask, okay, look, this guy is 5'7, this guy is 5'9, he has a bigger reach, okay? This guy is, what's it called? He's a heavier weight, he has maybe an advantage. Did you ask the guy, which guy went to the mikveh? Right? Nobody cares. You're know. You know, you not putting money on the Tahor guy. right? It's not more likely that the Tahor guy would win over the Tameh guy. So why in the world are we putting that as one of the things, which is the miracles of Chanukah? And our rabbis tell us something Im- unbelievable, really remarkable. Listen to this. There's a very strange halakha. The halakha says, the halakha teaches us, um, in a scenario, in certain scenarios of monetary doubt, this is going to blow your mind. I don't know if the money belongs to this one or to this one. This guy says it, this guy says it. Certain scenarios where we rule, there's a rule called, call the Alim Gavar. Anyone know what that means? In Hebrew, that means whoever is stronger wins. That's the Halakha. Now there's a makhlokit. So Just so you don't have a heart attack on me. There's a makhloket. One opinion says, whoever is stronger in his arguments, whoever has a better claim to the money, called who has a better claim. But some opinions say, no, whoever is stronger and grabs the object, that belongs to him. Now, everyone wants to know, how in the world does that make any sense? Why is that just? So I want to read you the words of the Rosh. The Rosh says, what do you mean, Kol Da'alim Kvar? Mi imo, why does that give you justice? Because he was He grabbed it away, now that means that it's supposed to be his? Mi Imo, says the, uh, the Rosh, whoever is actually uh, the owner of this object, whoever is the owner of this object, Haddeen Imo, Moser Nafsho, he gives his heart. And his soul, to, to take that which is his and put it in his hand. More than the other person wants to steal the object, the person who it belongs to, he's that, that guy is going to fight harder. Now the question is, okay, I get that. But the halakhav should be only if they're both five foot seven. You know, if they both never learned the Mai Thai, if they both know the halakha is even if one is stronger than the other, one is taller than the other, one is heavier than the other, still we say the the kevar. That means that the fight, even when it's uneven, when you know what you're fighting for, when you have what to be fighting for, when, it's, when you're the right, right one, so often that person, whoever wants it more, wins. And by the way, historically this is true as well. Armies that are fighting for their own homeland fight harder than mercenaries that you pay for. When Am Israel, when the Jewish soldiers are fighting for their own survival, even if as an army they might be weaker, they're gonna fight in a, to, with a level of determination. They're gonna fight with a level of Mesirut Nefesh that far outweighs someone else who's just fighting for an extra dollar or an extra whatever the case might be. So this is true historically as well. Even, by the way, in sporting events. Sammy, what do we say when these two teams fighting for the playoffs, fighting for what's it called, for, uh, 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 for, the, for the Super Bowl, what do we say it's going to boil down to which team wants it more? You'll hear the sports commentators. They say it all the time. Ye- only yesterday. Who won between the Seahawks and the, of, and the, uh, and the Cardinals, right? Majnun. Cardinals records four 4-9 you right, the uh, Seattle Seahawks' record is 11? Four and 11. Four and 11. Le- the, what's their record? 11 and, f- was 11 and four. At, at home. At home. 12th man. What are we talking about? How could they win? And the answer is, even though it meant nothing, it should have meant something. Somehow, they wanted it more. They pushed more. Every extra down. They fought for the inches. Rabotai. And this is the sorry state of affairs. Who wants it more in this world? Teme'im or Tehorim? Unfortunately, <coughs> Temeim. What's the proof? The proof is there's more Temeim. If the Tehorim wanted it more then the world would be Tahor. If we wanted it enough the world would be Tahor. What's the problem? Matityahu and his sons, there's five people that wanted it more. They have to beg, borrow and steal to get everyone to join. You know, to join in the campaign. How many people are fighting for Torah? How many people are fighting against Torah? How many people are fighting for morality? How many people are fighting against morality? So it is a miracle, yes, indeed. It is a miracle that Temeim fall in the hands of Teorim because you know what? (laughs) It's just not not a fair fight. They want it more. I ask myself this question all the time. You know, our our rabbis tell us that when, you know what, you want to know when when terrorism will end. You want to know when terrorism will end? You know what Golda Meir said? She said, when, when these mothers love their children more than they hate us, yeah? when they learn to love life more than their lives, more than they love our deaths, then they won't go in and blow themselves up. They won't go in you know, and do a shooting sweep because they would love to live more They would value their life more than they value killing us. Rabbutai, what we're hearing over here is a very powerful thing that we're asked. We have to spread and we need to teach a love of life. We need to teach a love of morality. Not only the people around you, who are in your own family, not only your own community, non-Jewish people also. You need to be teaching them, showing them the things that are beautiful about Judaism, showing them the elements, the light of the Torah. Does that mean you sit down a chavrutah gemara? No, but if there's something beautiful that you want to share, it is our obligation. It has been since the beginning of time to be or la and I always think about this when I think about Chanukah. Chanukah is a time where we bring light to the world. It's called Chag Haorim, the ha- a festival of lights. This little tiny thing in our window, it's very small. But at the same time, it's a, it's a t- however much it is, it's a tiny bit compared to our obligation to light up the whole world. Our Chachamim say, I'll end with this. We say in the prayer, "Nakamta et nikmatam. You took rebellion, uh, you re- t- took revenge, for their revenge. What is this? The, the Greeks tried to do something. They went and they made all of the oil impure. What, why are they trying to make all the oil impure? Open the seal of every bottle, that's what you got to do. Imagine a Greek soldier, he's fighting his way in, killing people, he finally gets into the Beit he's like, okay guys, everyone grab bottles of oil, break the seals. That's what they're doing, the soldiers. That's what they did. They broke the seals on all the bottles of oil that they had stored in the Beit That's what they needed to do. Does that make any sense to you? The answer is, they, they were not fighting a war against Jews. They were fighting a war against Judaism. They wanted to silence. They wanted to extinguish the menorah. The menorah is representative of Torah. It represents the light of the Jewish people. They wanted to extinguish that light. Listen to this, Rabbi says of Zilbushdin, Nakamteh Nikmatam, God took revenge for them, not just then. They tried to extinguish the light of one menorah. The response to that is millions of minorot lit in every home, lit all around the world, for thousands of years since that time. If they tried to distinguish it once, the response is to go harder, stronger, and more common. If we want to win this war in this world, to win the war of good versus evil, to win the world of war of light versus darkness, we cannot do it alone. You need to be able to take one candle, and that's why when you light one candle to another, you have two. Does the first one become diminished at all? No. When you share your light with someone else, now two people are lighting the world, and then five people, and then your family, and then your community, and then the people at your work, and the people around you in your city, and eventually more and more and more and more. The obligation of Chanukah is to set not just a small candle of flame, but to set enough small candles that that in and of itself brings a tremendous light to a world that suffers in darkness. Baruch Adonai